0: Our Father in in life, um, there are seasons to life, the literal physical seasons that you have woven into the creation. Here we are in January, and we've got winter, but we don't have winter 12 months out of the year. Winter comes to an end, comes to a necessary end as you have ordained each year. And then comes the spring. And as much as we love spring, spring doesn't last forever. And it comes to an end, a necessary end, and then we're into the summer. And then summer comes to a necessary end, and we're into the fall, and there are changes, and we see them, and we sense them. And as much as we enjoy that, it comes to an end. And then the cycle continues. There are necessary endings and there are necessary beginnings that you have ordained. And as we are in a new year, the first month of a new year, it's a new beginning. We look back over the past year and we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you've been there every moment as you have been our entire lives. We thank you that you never leave us or forsake us. We uh, sometimes are up and down, we get ambivalent. Our emotions uh, change, our feelings change, our intensity changes, but you never change. We thank you for forgiveness of sin. We thank you for what Jesus did on the cross on our behalf, that he died in our place so that we could have peace with God through his sacrifice. We'll never get over that. And we face this year with optimism and hope because you are our God. There are uh, seasons in life and some seasons are extremely hard extremely difficult because of uh, intense affliction. We don't want those times, but they are necessary times, and they grow us, and they mature us, and they develop us, and they drive us to you and teach us not to trust in ourselves, but in you. We pray for those men who are in those difficult seasons, this a difficult chapter right now, that you would give them hope, that you're at work, that you oversee the affliction, that your eye is upon them, and that you'll be faithful to them each day. Even when they don't think they can get through the day, you'll get them through hour by hour because of your faithfulness. And ultimately, you'll bring good out of it. David said, it was good for me that I was afflicted. Any of us who have walked with you for a while can say that. That was an extremely hard time, but it was good for me. We want to continue to grow and mature, We want to continue to increase in wisdom. So we pray that you would enable us to recalibrate in this new year and to set our sights wholly on you, completely on you. Psalm 90. Moses says, for the days of our lives, they contain 70, or due to strength, 80 years. But soon it is gone, and we fly away. So teach us to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. That's our prayer tonight. They would give us wisdom as we encounter this new year. Wisdom to trust. Wisdom for decisions wisdom for when to move ahead and when to hold off we want to hear from you because you are our shepherd and we pray these things in jesus name amen so tonight we're going to start a new series and uh, i'm going to give you sort of a, a title for the series Give you a kind of heads up on where we're going to go in the weeks ahead. Uh, I, I, um, I got a couple titles. Um, if you go to the website, you'll see the title. You'll see the word epitaph hyphen forever chiseled in stone. Epitaph. Hyphen, forever chiseled in stone. Uh, an, an epitaph is a summary statement of a man's life that's uh, chiseled in stone. We're all going to get one. It's, it's a good thing to think about your epitaph. It depends on how you're wired. Some people plan ahead. They're planners, and that's, that's, that's great. Some people think ahead about what they want at their memorial service. Some people think about that and request this and I'd like this. Others of us don't think of it at all. But uh, you're going to have a memorial service, funeral, uh, unless Christ returns before you're going to have one. And you will also have some kind of marker, and it'll have your name, it'll have your date of birth, and then there'll be a hyphen, and then there'll be your uh, date of uh, death. And then... Some kind of epitaph. It's always fascinated me about headstones, gravestones. You'll see the name. You'll see the date of birth. You'll see the date of death. But the whole story is in the hyphen. The whole story. It's right there in that hyphen. We are... uh, I, I have a friend who in December, went home to be with the Lord. There, Because of Christmas and family spread out all over and the memorial service they planned for next week. Um, and what's interesting is by the way we live, we can make that service Either, catch this, by the way we live, we can make that service, that memorial service, we can make it very, very hard on our families. Or, we can make it a joy. By the way we live our lives today. That's why I want to talk about epitaphs. I said I might have two titles. I gave you the first one. It's on the website, epitaph-forever-chisel-and-stone. I I guess the other one that's really on my mind, and I'm probably going to, uh, yeah, I'm going to get to this on my fourth point, uh, is that uh, we're writing our epitaphs. Every day we're writing an epitaph. I want to make tonight four observations about epitaphs, um, it's good to think, my, 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 my son John said to me a couple of years ago, and he said it more than once, <clears throat> he said, you know, Dad, I think it's good to think about dying. I think I agree with him. It's good to think about dying because you're going to die. We, we live in a culture where so many are trying to escape any thought of the fact that they're gonna die. But we're gonna die, and there will be a service. And uh, there will be an epitaph on a gravestone, but more importantly, there will be an epitaph in the heart of every person that you've been close to, your wife, your kids, your grandkids, and see, it doesn't really, in a sense, there'll be something on the stone, but sometimes they put something on the stone just because it's nice, but it's not real. You can't spill all the stuff. And we try to cover up stuff sometimes, but you can't cover up your influence either for positive or for negative. You can't cover it up. Everybody knows because who's close to you because they watched you live. Even after we die, we have influence. So four observations about epitaphs. Here's the first one. Epitaphs are found throughout Scripture. And they are. If you turn to me to Second Chronicles twenty-five, you know you have Kings and Chronicles, and you have it's it's the overview of the history of Israel and Judah, and all the kings are laid out for us. At a certain point, the nation of Israel split. Uh, the first king was Saul. Then you had David. Then you had um, Solomon. And when Solomon's son, Rehoboam, took the throne, the nation split. Uh, The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. So you had the kings of the north and the kings of the south. And anyway, so you got all this history going on. And as you look at these different kings, you're going to find some kind of epitaph on every one of these guys. I I just want to look at a few of them just to give you some example. If you look at 2 Chronicles 25, we meet Amaziah. Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. Now here's his epitaph in verse 2. Catch this for an epitaph. He did right in the sight of the Lord, yet not with a whole heart. He was half-hearted. And if you read... The account of Amaziah, uh, you will see that uh, he was hot and cold. Sometimes he was all in with the Lord, and sometimes he was in absolute rebellion to the Lord. He was inconsistent. Amaziah loved the Lord, but not with a whole heart. Uh, James would call him a double-minded man in all of his ways. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways, because he's not all in. That's his epitaph. And to this day, we're looking at the epitaph of a guy who lived 3,000 years ago. Another epitaph would be Second Chronicles 26. This is the son of Amaziah. This is Uzziah. And his, um, he was quite a guy. He was a builder. He completely rebuilt the infrastructure of the nation. He strengthened them in every possible way. He had a heart for God. But if you look at uh, 2 Chronicles 26, it was amazing the stuff that this guy did. And I don't have the time to read the first 15 verses, but it was just achievement and accomplishment, one right after the other. And we read at the end of verse 15, it says this, Hence his fame spread afar because of all of his accomplishments, for he was marvelously helped until he was strong. At the end of 15, of 2 Chronicles 26. His fame spread afar. Why? Because, really, the hand of the Lord was on him. He was walking with the Lord. God was giving him favor. He was doing all these accomplishments. Hence his Fame spread afar, for he was marvelously helped until he was strong. And what happened when he got strong? He got proud. He got arrogant. He got so proud and so arrogant, uh, if you read 16, but when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God, for he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Kings don't do that. Priests do that. But he had gotten so puffed up, he'd gotten so full of himself that he was above the word of God. He was above any accountability. He, was, he started strong. He was marvelously helped until he was strong. Uh, they confronted him. You can read about it. They confronted him, the chief priest and all the priests, And he was enraged in verse 19. He was enraged that they confronted him. Instead of when they confronted him saying, you're right, guys, what am I doing? Instead of dealing with it, instead of handling it and doing the right thing, he resisted it. And because he resisted it, leprosy broke out on his forehead and he was a leper till the end of his days. He was marvelously helped until he was strong. Let him who stands take heed lest he fall. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. For the last two days, I've really been, I've just been aware that I need to pay attention to some pride. That's the last two days, what I've been doing. Because there's a reason this stuff's in the Bible. Uh, Better men than me have gone down. It's just a lack of perspective. And And the thing about pride, it creeps up on you, you don't even know it's there. You don't even know it's there, but it's there. It can happen to any of us, and it has happened to all of us. Uh, here, here's a third epitaph. And this would be from uh, King Jotham. Jotham, Next chapter. Uh, he was Uzziah's son. If you look at verse 2, it says, he did right in the sight of the Lord, 27.2. According to all that his father Uzziah had done. However, he did not enter the temple of the Lord. He learned the lesson. Uh, No man is, um, I've had guys over the years, they're afraid that the legacy of their father, the legacy of a grandfather, the legacy that's been in their family is going to come upon them. Uh, you, You are not doomed to repeat what your father did or your grandfather, even if it's been in your family for generations. Because, you see, each man stands before the Lord. God can use you to put a new link in your family chain. And he loves to do that. Uh, I think the real epitaph of Jotham is in 27.6. So Jotham became mighty, just like his father. Jotham became mighty, watch this, though, because he ordered his ways before the Lord his God. He was careful. He was very careful. And he became mighty. Didn't get proud. As he became mighty, he didn't become full of himself. He continued to order his ways before the Lord because he had seen what had happened to his father and his father's heart. Here's another epitaph. King Amon, Second Chronicles, thirty three. In Second Chronicles, thirty three, now Amon, give me a second here, guys. There it is. Okay. So Earlier in 33, you have the story of his father Manasseh. Manasseh was the wickedest king in the history of Judah. Hands down. The wickedest king. Sacrificed his son in the fire. Tradition says he was the one who put Isaiah in a log and had him sawn in two. He, uh, he built, uh, he, he worshiped all the stars of heaven. He killed the prophets. I mean, he was wicked. Um, he was hauled off eventually uh, into a dungeon by invading armies, was there probably 12 years, and while he was there, he repented. God broke him. And then God forgave him, and you have a parallel passage to Second Chronicles, uh, 33, his story is also told in, um, in Kings. So you get, you get the whole view looking at the king's account. But the Lord forgave him and restored him back to his kingdom, and then he spent the rest of his life in repentance, undoing what he had done. But his wickedness was great, so Amon was his son. Now, in 21, you've got Ammon. Ammon, uh, verse 21 of 33. Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. Now, watch this. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, as Manasseh, his father, had done. Look at 23. Moreover, here here is his uh, epitaph. Moreover, he did not humble himself before the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done, but Ammon multiplied guilt. His epitaph is that he multiplied guilt. His father turned away from his sin and repented. Did he learn from the example of his father? No. He multiplied his guilt. He refused. That's his epitaph. The next one we we want to look at is Josiah, which is in the next chapter. So you got a guy like Amon, and now here comes Josiah. Let me tell you something about Josiah. Josiah was the greatest of all the kings. The greatest. He was greater than David. If you read the account of Josiah, he turned his heart fully to the Lord. There was a revival. There was a reformation in the nation. He was a godly man. It says in verse two of 34, he did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David and did not turn aside to the right or to the left. And and then it goes into detail about his life and about what he did in leading the nation spiritually. Um, He did right in the sight of the Lord. He was all in, he was all in. Amazing to look at these generations, isn't it? Each man has got to make his own choices. Each man has got to decide what he's going to do. Here's one of a guy who's not a king. Let's go to Ezra. If you just turn to the right from Chronicles, you'll get into Ezra. Ezra was a priest. Now, here's what happened just kind of historically. You know, you had had the, the time of the kings, Saul, David... Uh, Solomon uh, then the nation split and it goes on for you know the two kingdoms and the northern kingdom taken into captivity then eventually the southern kingdom Judah goes into Babylonian captivity that's uh, Daniel and the boys and they're in there for 70 years and then they are returned to Jerusalem through Cyrus the uh, pagan king that God used God loves to use pagan kings and pagan leaders he uses them for his glory and twice he says you're my anointed even though you don't know me so god can use anybody anytime any way he wants and he can he does that he just does whatever he wants to do so that so they go back to jerusalem and they lay down the foundation of you know and they're going to rebuild and then about 60 years goes by they're doing that and when they first got in there, there was, they were all excited about the Lord and all that. But you let 60 years go by, and, you know, the heart starts getting cold, and they get ambivalent and all that. So the Lord sends in Ezra. Ezra is a priest. Uh, Ezra 7. Verse 6. Then uh, uh, 7-6 of Ezra. This Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a scribe, skilled in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. The king granted to him all he requested because of the hand the Lord was upon him. He was a godly man. He knew the Scriptures. won't go into a lot of detail about it, except he was an expert in the Scriptures. If you look at verse 10, you'll see his epitaph. This is a great epitaph. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of God, to study the law of the Lord, and to practice it, and to teach his statutes his, his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Let's look at it one more time. Let's go through that. For Ezra had set his, note the heart, he had set his heart to study or seek the law of the Lord. He wanted to know what God had to say. He knew it was God's word. He set his heart to study the law of the Lord. But watch this. He not only studied it, but he practiced it. He applied it. That's very important. I'm sure you've seen Christian leaders, I've seen them, Who are very knowledgeable in the scripture but their lives when you get up close are a wreck because they're they're learned men the brilliant men but it hasn't made its way into application it hasn't made its way into relationships into their home In their business in it hasn't come out yet into their life Paul told Timothy Paul told Timothy be careful of your doctrine and of your life it's not just that you know so much about the Bible that you could win jeopardy that's not the goal the goal is that it comes out in your life and in your relationships and the way you treat people. They asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and might. And the second is the same as the first, and you shall love what? Your neighbor as yourself. Your wife as your neighbor. Your kids are your neighbor. Your grandkids, the guys you work with, the guys who work, Uh, for you they're your neighbors we treat people in a godly way the truth of God is designed to come out in relationships Uh, I've got three more principles on uh, on epitaphs the first one was epitaphs are found throughout scripture and we gave you some examples uh, second <clears throat> principle, or, or second observation about epitaphs. Biblical epitaphs are a description of one's behavior throughout his life. Biblical epitaphs are a description of one's behavior, and you could say, and attitudes throughout his life. So it's a summary of how this guy lived. Third observation, the epitaph describes the man's behavior, but the real issue is the man's heart. I want to say that again. We're going to camp here for a minute. The epitaph describes the man's behavior, but the real issue is the man's heart. Let's go to what Jesus said in Matthew 15. So Jesus told the parable, and as usual, they're a little confused about what he means, and in Matthew 15, verse 15, I'm not going to go into the parable right now, but Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. Jesus said, are you still lacking in understanding also? And now here we go. Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? Now watch this, verse 18. But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. So, you know, the Pharisees got on Jesus because his disciples, they just sat down and they started eating without going through the ceremonial ritual that the Pharisees were big in their bureaucracy of washing your hands. Uh, the, uh, The Pharisees were all about bureaucracy and rules and legalism when you read through the Gospels, notice how many times Jesus healed on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath. And every time time Jesus would do a great miracle on the Sabbath, they'd get all upset. The man with the withered hand, on the Sabbath, Jesus said, stretch forth thy hand. Boom! Instantaneously healed. Everybody's rejoicing except the bureaucrats. And then Jesus looked at them and said, hey, if your donkey falls into the ditch on the Sabbath, aren't you going to pull it out? Yeah. Yeah. You care more about a donkey than you do a man made in God's image. They thought, see, here's here's the problem with religion and legalism. If I do the external stuff, I'm right with God. If I wash my hands, I'm right with God. No, that's just that's outward, that's external. The issue is not your hands, the issue is your heart. This, we had to nail this tonight. This this third point. The epitaph describes the man's behavior, but the real issue is the man's heart. So here, here's the deal on the heart. God created a perfect universe. You read about it in the early chapters of Genesis, Adam and Eve, it was perfect, all the way around, perfect, perfection. But they listened to the lie of the serpent. They went ahead, first the woman, man goes along, and they disobey God. What happened was catastrophic. It's called the fall. Sin came into the world, and with sin came death, and that perfection was broken, and it fell. Everything was busted up. Uh, they suddenly were hiding from God. They'd never hidden from God. Well, well they, they were covering themselves and hiding from God. That never happened before. But you see, that perfect relationship had been broken. Now, here's what's interesting. The entire human race, the entire human race, was in the loins of Adam, seminally. And you see, everything was affected. Everything was broken including the entire human race. That's why, we, that's why everyone is born sinner, a sinner. It, uh, sin is passed on from generation to generation, ever since that happened in the garden. Those cute little babies are physically alive, but they're spiritually dead. It's really important. We are uh, estranged from God and we want nothing to do with God, we we just we don't want him because we're sinners. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We sin because we're sinners. We, we sin because it's our nature to sin. It has to do with the condition of our heart. If you turn to Jeremiah 17, it describes the condition of the heart. Now, we live in a very interesting time Um if you, watch, uh, if you watch any of the movies on the Hallmark Channel, they will talk a lot about the heart. They will talk a lot about uh, listen to your heart. They will talk about um, what is your heart saying to you. It's not the Hallmark Channel. We live in a culture that um, psychology, religion, anything in our culture, here, here is the advice, here is the wisdom of our culture. No matter what your problem is, you need to look deep inside your self. Looking deep inside yourself is like going scuba diving in a septic tank. Jeremiah 17. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. That's a septic tank, it's a sewer. Why? Because we're born spiritually dead. Our hearts are full of sin. Verse 10 I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind. This is very important. When when the Bible speaks of the heart, primarily it's speaking of your mind. It's not this thing that, you know, you get on the treadmill and you check. Uh, the heart, biblically, is the mind. And it's also your emotions, it's your will, it's you. It's the whole internal package. I remember when my... Uh, Paternal grandfather died. I was seven, and I remember seeing him in that open casket. I looked there, and I thought, and my first thought was, he's not there. That wasn't him. That wasn't my grandpa. That was a shell, but that wasn't grandpa. He was with the Lord. He was absent from the body. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, you see. So, when we talk about the heart, we're talking about you, the guts of you, your mind, your emotions, your will, everything about you. And here's the thing about sin. When you talk about sin, it doesn't mean that we're, here's what it means. Sin has touched every aspect of our being. Every aspect has been tainted. It doesn't mean that people who don't know Christ can't do good things. Uh, someone who doesn't know the Lord can help an uh, elderly person across the street. They can go down and give blood at the Red Cross. They can do They can do things that are civil and kind and all of that. We're not saying they can't do those kinds of things, but ultimately... Ultimately, any act like that, some comes out of an evil heart. And this is really hard to buy. But I remember a story from John Gerstner, who was the mentor of R.C. Sproul, and Sproul just died a couple of weeks ago at 78, one of the great theologians of our day. But Gerstner, John Gerstner, was his mentor and taught him in seminary. And I heard heard Gerstner once. He was quite a guy. Uh, He he was a man's man. And he did not harbor... um, foolishness, uh, and in his talk, he was telling a story about he um, had a student, he gave a grade, and the student didn't like his grade at the seminary, and came in, and was contending with him, and Gerstner was showing him this and this, and and then the guy said to him, yes, but my motives were pure, and Gerstner said, your motives have never been pure, there you go. You got to be careful of biblical theologians. And he was right. The motive's never pure because the heart's not pure. Go back to uh, Matthew 15. I want to show you this one more time. We get we are absolutely brainwashed in our culture that basically everyone is basically good. That is absolutely contrary to the Scripture. This is why you discipline children. Children are little sinners. They need discipline. They need correction. If you're a good parent, you'll follow what the Scripture says in raising your children according to what he says in Proverbs. Go back to what Jesus said in, in Matthew 15. We have this thing, everybody's basically good. Yeah, you know, we just come through the holidays. just come through Christmas. Uh, Christmas is great. Uh, for a lot of people, Christmas is really, really difficult. Uh, I remember a woman re- reading a, a background story on a woman who's a very famous novelist, and as I recall... It was Christmas Eve, and she was just a little tiny girl when her daddy walked out of the house and never came back again. Why would he do that? Well, his wife didn't understand him. No, let me tell you why he did it. Go back to what Jesus said, Matthew 15, verse 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, Adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. It comes out of the sewer which is our heart. Now here's the good news. If you look at 2 Corinthians 5, it says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. I think it's 514. Old things have passed away, all things have become new, including your heart. When we come to Christ, when we hear the gospel, we're, we're Ephesians 2.1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So we're physically alive, but we're spiritually dead. We have no interest in God. But then the Spirit of God begins to work in our heart. We hear the gospel. No man can come, Jesus said, unless the Father draws him. The Spirit of God draws us. He opens our eyes because we're regenerated, and We say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died for my sins on the cross. Jesus took my sins upon him. He died in my place. The wrath that should have come upon me went on Jesus. And when you trust in him and say, Jesus, come into my life. Thank you for dying for me. Show me how to live. I want to be your guy now. Be my God. Be my shepherd. And you start following him. What happens when you're regenerated? You're born again and you get a new heart. Now, here's the deal. So, you got a new heart, you're in Christ now, but you still got a sin nature. You have a new nature, but you have a sin nature. And from here on out, what you want to do is starve the sin nature, and you want to feed your heart with truth, with scripture, like Ezra. Romans 12, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your Mind, how do you renew your mind? By the word of God. Second Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God, God breathed, and profitable. You like profit, don't you? Sure you do, profit's good. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness that the man of God may be equipped for every, completely furnished for every good work. He's gonna recalibrate my mind It's a process. It all starts with the heart. So let's go to Proverbs 4. You guys still with me? Okay. Now we got to make a connection here. All right, you're talking, wait a minute, Steve, you're talking about epitaphs and all this stuff, yeah? And somehow you got to the heart, yeah. Because an epitaph is a description of a man's behavior throughout his life. But the real thing behind the man's behavior is his heart. So we want to go to Proverbs 4 because Proverbs 4 nails this. It nails it. If you look at Proverbs 4.23, we read this. Watch over your heart. Some translations say guard your heart. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. There is nothing more important in the Christian life than watching over your heart, your mind. Because out of that heart comes the wellsprings of your life. Wellsprings are good things. A spring, an artesian well, is a good thing. It's a gift. It's Wonderful, clean, pure, sparkling water just bubbling out that affects positively everyone that interacts with it. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. That is a great verse, and that is a great truth. John Flavel was a pastor in England 300 years ago. I got six volumes of his sermons that he preached in Dartmouth in the 1600s. I got a a bunch of them. But this book, the whole thing called Keeping the Heart, this whole book is on this verse. And, And I want to tell you, it is packed. There's no fluff. There's no cotton candy in this book. I can go about three pages and then I got it. That's it. I can't take in anymore. I got to go. I got to go think about this. It's like Thanksgiving turkey. You can only eat so much. And that's, I mean, that's all I can handle. It's so jam-packed with truth. He quotes, uh, the the person who wrote the introduction, quotes Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon said this, There is nothing one half so worthy of abhorrence as the human heart. God spares from all eyes but his own that awful sight a human heart. And could you and I but see our heart, we should be driven mad, so horrible would be the sight. You're not going to hear that on Oprah. (laughs) (laughs) Or anywhere. You're not going to hear that in most churches. That's our heart. Now, Christ comes into our heart, and he's our Savior, and he's our Lord, and he's walking with us. But we are told, what are we told? Watch over your heart with all diligence. That's why... In all honesty, I didn't mean to say this, but the last couple of days, I really been kind of watching myself on a pride issue. It kind of snuck up on me. I, it came out in a conversation, and I felt like I was puffing myself up with a friend. I thought, what the heck did I say that for? And I thought about it for a day and a half, and then I called him. And I said, hey, I just want to follow up from yesterday. And we had a, and it was good. It was really helpful. So you you just don't stand up here and teach this. You got to work on it. We all do. Gosh, I'd like if I start quoting this, we'll be here till midnight. (laughs) So I'm not going to do it. Keeping the Heart is the name of the book. John Flavel is the author. F L A V E L. So, in Proverbs 4, verse 23, you zoom in on the heart. But, you also want to back up and look at the whole chapter of Proverbs 4. Because it shows the relationship of the heart, watch this, to a man's final epitaph. Okay? I. I you following me here? I mean, act like you are. Just, you know, humor me. So, let's back up for a minute. Proverbs 4. A great, great Old Testament scholar named Derek Kidner, K-I-D-N-E-R. He he is he's able to take scripture and crystallize it and just clarify it he's wonderful he calls proverbs 4 the whole chapter a lifelong destination that's what he calls this all right what happens at the end of the destination you die and they have a service and then they're going to be buried and there's going to be some kind of headstone and there will be a what epitaph okay so this he's talking about Proverbs four is a lifelong destination. He breaks Proverbs four down um, a little bit more. Proverbs is a father instructing a son. As you read through Proverbs, you see this all the time. Listen, my son. Hear, my son. <clears throat> Constantly. So it is a father teaching. A son about life. Fathers are be are to be connected. Uh, Fathers are to be involved. Fathers are to be tuned in. That's our job, not domineering, not not you know, you, you know that. But we're to be connected. Okay. Verses one through nine, the concept is seek. The wisdom of God. In other words, you're on a lifelong journey? Yeah. First of all, seek the wisdom of God. Now watch this. In this opening section, you're going to find three generations. Three generations. Because God has created us as men to live in relationships. You know, the whole the, the whole Western uh, motif of the guy who's the loner. If you read Louis L'Amour, the great Western novelist, that guy could write. Man, he could tell some good stories. But he was kind of off on some things. Uh, one of the things he was off is that um, a, a man is to basically... You're by yourself. Now, Lamore was married and had two children, and apparently he was pretty close to his wife. I just read a thing that his son wrote on Lamore. But in his Westerns, the, the guy, the, you know, the Western hero guy, he was kind of a loner. And in some of the stories, he'd meet a young woman and all of this, and it was just coming together, and the guy would ride off. Because there's always another mountain. There's always another stream. There's always another Indian. There's always another, you know, buffalo. It's really kind of stupid. So I'm just going to keep riding this horse and see what I can see and live by myself. thats It's not good for the man to be alone, the Bible says. So we're all in some kind of relationship. You see? So the Scripture is to affect me and to affect my relationships, as we've already said. You're going to see three generations here. here uh, Proverbs 4.1. Uh, here hero sons the instruction of a father all right there's two generations right there and give attention that you may gain understanding for i give you sound teaching do not abandon my instruction now watch this when i was a son to my father there's the third generation this is solomon he's talking to his boys and then he refers to his dad david a man who was a man after god's own heart A great sinner, as we all are, Uh, John Newton said, I am a great sinner, but Jesus is a great Savior. Jesus saves great sinners and cleanses us from all unrighteousness and turns us around and puts us on a new, I'm getting ahead of myself, okay. (laughs) When I was a son to my father, tender and the only son on the side of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, let your heart let your heart let your heart hold fast my words keep my commandments and live acquire wisdom acquire understanding okay teaching the son if you go down can't spend too much time on this now if you go down to verse 10 to 19 and what's the overall theme of this chapter it's a lifelong journey so the second thing he's telling him is in verses 10 to 19, so choose the right path. It's a lifelong journey, so choose the right path. Beginning with verse 10. Hear, my son, and accept my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. This is a great thing about the Lord. All of us have lived without the Lord. We have wasted years without the Lord. All of us. And so we all have regrets. But as Joel 2 says, the years which the locusts have eaten, I will restore. You wasted those years. Uh, I love that verse in Joel because you could have five, six, seven, eight years. You're wiped out. The locusts come in. You're just about ready to harvest. Locusts come in. Just wipe you out. And the Lord says, yeah, but let me tell you something. The years which the locusts have eaten, I will restore. Sometimes it's not the locusts that screw up your life. It's you. It's me. We screw up and eat up. We cannibalize our own lives. We're cannibals of what God wants to do. Yet we turn to the Lord, and you know what? He turns it. And as Martin Lloyd-Jones says, here's the great thing about God. If the locusts have eaten your last 10 years, here's the thing about God. God can give you 10 years in one year. Yes, he can. Now, to him who's able to do exceeding abundantly beyond anything we could ever ask or think. You get all in with Jesus, and you just watch him. It may not come tomorrow. You just keep following him. And stay teachable. Stay teachable. Just don't put all this stuff in your head. Stay teachable. You can't guard your heart if you're not teachable. Your heart's like a garden. Weeds are going to come up. Things are going to come up. Pride's going to come up. Greed. This is going to come up. Vengeance is going to come up. You got to guard it. Lord help me here. And he'll send along a friend. Or maybe, when I hear two or the, the same thing from two or three individuals in a short period of time, I know the Lord's telling me something. because he uses those relationships choose the right path uh, he, he says i have directed you in the way of wisdom verse 11 i have led you to upright paths when you walk your steps won't be impeded when you run you will not stumble take hold of instruction don't let her go guard her for she is your life watch this do not enter the path of the wicked don't proceed in the way of evil men there are two paths And then the third thing that he is saying, the third section under Proverbs 4, a lifelong journey, is in verses 20 to 27. And the third thing is, concentrate on your heart. As you're living this lifelong journey, concentrate on your heart. My son, give attention to my words, verse 20 Incline your ear to my sayings. Don't let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart. In other words, keep putting truth in your heart. For they are life to those who find them, their health to all their body. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. You say, really? Really. What you put in your heart affects everything in your life. Look at the next verses. It affects your speech. Put away from you a deceitful mouth. We all have mouth problems. We have tongue problems. We have speech problems. That's a heart issue. Christ can change your heart so that you can speak a word of grace as seasoned with salt to give encouragement to those who are with you. You see? You speak a word of, of mercy, of grace in season. Speech is a heart issue. So you got to guard your heart so your speech can improve. But it's just not your heart. Look at 25. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Hey, the, hey, the, eyes, the eyes can get you in all kinds of trouble. Can they not? All kinds of trouble. All kinds of sexual temptation, the eyes, the eyes. So, so the heart, the, the problem's not the eyes, the problem's the heart. So Jesus, help me here in my heart. I'm struggling with this temptation sexually. So you got to put the word of God in your heart. You got to talk to a brother in Christ. Man, I'm struggling here. You can tell him that, he's struggled too. And then you guys check in with each other and you pray for one another and you talk to each other. That's so how this thing works, because you're living in a community and relationship. What you do with your heart affects your mouth. It affects your eyes. Uh, it affects your feet. Watch the path of your feet, 26, and all your ways be established. Because, see, every day got to you got to choose the right path. And the, and the temptation is, I'm sick and tired of doing this. You can become weary and well-doing. You know, I'm going back. You don't want to go back. flee from immorality never in the history of the world had men been hit with so much sexual temptation ever it's constant it's perpetual they'll send you emails you don't know what it is and you hit it and boom you're at a site and stuff you've never seen nor do you want to see but you'll never get it out of your mind You go to a museum, you see pornography up there, and oh, hmm. I wonder what the real meaning is. It's crap, it's obscene. Well, I just, I'm looking for the deep, get out of there. Flee immorality. Well, I want to see the deeper artistic meaning. you ought to be in Hollywood then making movies (laughs) and interviewing uh, young women kind of interesting isn't it what we're seeing right now all these guys suddenly I mean it's kind of interesting to watch all these guys that have taken advantage of young women that's also in the church it shouldn't be but there are some who do that Make sure it's not you. All this stuff starts with the heart. And so I'd say to you, today we have to guard our hearts because our behavior comes out of our hearts and the way we treat those we love we work with and those we interact with it's all from the heart so every day we are writing our epitaphs and when we die they will remember how we lived long after we're gone and with the Lord Jim Elliot is famous Along with his four friends, missionaries to the Aka Indians, graduate of Wheaton College, went to South America to try to reach. The Akas were the most savage tribe in the Amazon, uh, they were killers. And Jim Elliott, Nate Sate, <coughs> and her friends moved to that region, set up a, a camp. Uh, and made a strategy to try to reach those Auk Indians and they were planning it and they took off one day and flew out to where they were, landed on that river. and um, A man and two w- women from the tribe showed up and they interacted and then left and they were just waiting to have more interaction and they were supposed to check in the next day by radio and they never checked in. Uh, this was, I believe, 1956. So they sent search team in, and they found their bodies. These, these men who loved Christ had been martyred, savagely killed by these Indians. Uh, they had wives, babies, wives who were pregnant. What, what's interesting about... Um, Jim Elliot is that he was a guy who loved to write in his journal and when he was a student at Wheaton College he wrote this and it's been famous ever since if you saw the movie or if you read several of the books Jim Elliot wrote this who gave his life as a young man for the gospel he wrote these words in his journal he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He wrote that as a young man around 20 years old. One more time. And I would suggest to you that this is his epitaph. It's been repeated. It's been taught. It's been referred to. Millions of people have heard this. I, I heard Chuck talk about one time about the influence, the life of Jim Elliott and those men had on his life when he was pondering his future. And this played into it. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He who seeks to find his life will lose it. But he who gives up his life for my sake shall find it, Jesus said. Uh, Jim Elliot is famous. I didn't know until a few weeks ago he had a brother. A brother named Bert. And I'll finish with this. Uh, Bert is not famous. Bert loves the Lord as much as his brother Jim. He was also in Bible college preparing to go to the mission field. He's hard to find on the Internet until someone wrote a a small biography about him because he's very obscure. The title of his biography is Bored. No, it's Boring. Boring is the title of his biography. What what, what an interesting title for a biography. But there's an explanation behind it. Uh, Jim Elliot's brother, Bert, was a student at Multnomah Bible College in 1949, and he and his young wife were invited by a missionary couple to come to Peru and join the work there. Other than an occasional furlough, they have stayed in Peru their entire lives, and they are now in their 80s. They're obscure, and they're not well-known. But over the years, Bert and his wife, Colleen, have planted more than 170 churches. And when asked to reflect on his brother, Jim, Bert's response is stirring. He said, my brother, Jim, and I took different paths, both to the mission field, but he was a great meteor streaking through the sky. I wasn't. Uh, Bert did not go streaking through the sky. Randy Alcorn said about Bert, he was the faint star in the distance that faithfully rises night after night and is always there, always faithful, always doing the same boring thing. Most of us are not meteors. We're just average men. Abraham Lincoln said God must love average men. He made so many of them. But you know what? We're all significant, and sometimes we feel that we're living kind of boring lives, but they're not boring. They count, because God has placed us in a family, in relationships, we have a sphere of influence, and the way we live and the way we teach makes a difference for eternity. I I think an epitaph for Bert Could be obscure but faithful. That's a great epitaph. I'd take that. But really, when it comes down to it, what we want to hear from Jesus is well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray. So Father, help us to consider carefully your truth. None of us have got this wired. We're all in process and you are patient with us. I would pray that each of us would look carefully at our hearts and the weeds that we see there We need to address them and pull them before you as an act of obedience. Don't let us get complacent or passive. We want to mature in Jesus, and we can only do that by the power of your help. Apart from you, we can do nothing. We call on you to help us. In Jesus' name, amen.